Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. And I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Good. I had some guy complaining about my lighting, <laughs> mm-hmm. which has been really horrible. Uh, I think I figured it out a little better tonight. It's not great, but it's a little better. I I don't know. He said I looked like it was I was in a haunted house. <laughs> a ghost in a haunted house. It looked exactly like that. All right. I have LED track lighting. It goes around my that, room. I can control yeah. it from here. Oh, and, look at that. Like yeah. I'm ready for my close up, Mr. DeMille. <laughs> you All right. Haunted house. Who said that line? I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. DeMille. Was that um, Marlena Dietrich? Could could be. Possibly. She'd be the right era. She might be a little later than DeMille's kind of mm-hmm. uh, silent it's screen. Early, eh? Maybe she was mm-hmm. silent screen. I can't remember. Okay, Bruce. How do they know is... what she said then? <laughs> well, it's, well th- that would have been off camera. I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. DeMille. All right. Um... Bruce, this is our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast with one conundrum in the orders. Three, two, victory over. Who the hell? Who do they play? I, was thinking, I got the Dallas Stars on my brain because of that trade. The St. Mm-hmm. Louis Blues. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. And uh, going into the game, Bruce, I was worried because um, the orders have been losing to more desperate teams, essentially, including Dallas. Um excuse me, not Dallas, but uh, Calgary and um, Minnesota in recent games. And I think that's been a big deciding factor in the games is the teams are fairly close in the NHL. Unfortunately, the orders aren't head and shoulders above everybody else. And they get in these teams that are just scraping to get in the playoffs, just desperate for a win because a loss can just, they're out and they start dismantling the team. Sometimes even when they win, they dismantle the team as the Calgary Flames are proven. So, I think that's what we saw a little bit of tonight was a little bit of doubt, uh, St. Louis's desperation early on. Anyway, Bruce, we'll, we'll go with two good things each because that was such a, a thrilling come from behind victory. What is your first good thing, Amundo? Yeah, I'm going to uh, single out uh, Connor McDavid and specifically the uh, 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 well, the routine two assists that he had in regulation. I mean, that barely warrants a mention. I mean, that's just sort of a nightly occurrence. Uh, But him finally getting off the schneid uh, with his first goal in almost 12 full hockey games. The last one he scored was early in the first period at Vegas, right after the break. Scored the only goal in that game. And then in the next 11 games, he scored 25 straight (laughs) assists. And then he finally... uh, was credited with the uh, uh, with the game winner tonight on a, a a very interesting sort of diagonal rush where he started by the right wing boards, hit the blue line near the middle of the ice, and he just kept cutting left, cutting left, cutting left, and he beat uh, Jordan Binnington with a shot that I dare say Binnington and many St. Louis Blues fans think should have been stopped, but he just caught 
Bennington on the, just on the arm and the puck, as you noted in the game uh, in our in our document, and I'd made a similar comment to my wife. It turned into a hummingbird. It just it, it, it must have rotated about three hundred times between it hitting the number fifty on Bennington's arm and just inside the far post. It just it almost didn't change direction. It just changed rotation and trajectory somehow and kept going and into the net. And finally, a goal from the big guy. And it was at four thirty-four of overtime. He was that close to achieving a career high goalless drought that extended back to his sophomore season which he tied 10 games without a goal but uh finally he uh he got one he had a few good chances he took the puck hard to the net a couple times and bennington made a couple of good stops on him but uh, uh at the very end there with the game on the line uh mcdavid got the job done and uh goal two assists three points and uh, plus one, he was on the ice, uh, culpable on uh, one of the goals against, but uh, he was, uh, uh, he more than made up for that at the good end of the ice. And he played almost 25 minutes tonight, David. And he, he, he led the Oilers in hits with four, and he was, uh, he was uh, uh, impacting the game in a number of different ways. A force to be reckoned with. Yeah, and that hummingbird shot was incredible. It just kept it was just spinning so beautifully. I wonder if I wonder if Bennington turned his head and then just watched the he was mesmerized by the beauty of the spin and he couldn't even reach out his arm to stop it cuz it just just spun ever right into the net. It was it was a gorgeous thing to see. It was much of Nick Adine, uh multi-time world curling champion. At last year's, he made the shot, greatest curling shot I've ever seen by putting as many rotations on it as possible to force the laws of physics to do strange and wonderful things to uh, to uh, tie a game in the last shot. Yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, this this, <laughs> this one was spinning like that one. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, you, he curled it into the net. <laughs> he He made an inexplicable play just a moment before, I have to say. It was, um, there was a, he came off the bench and um, they almost, the the Blues almost wanted on this rush. Mm -hmm. They rushed it up the ice and it was, should have been a two on two, but McDavid went to the same guy that Eklund was covering. Mm -hmm. When he came off the bench, instead of going to the guy that Eklund doesn't have. So there's, it's, there's a rush then all of a sudden that, that guy's open, he gets the puck and Eklund charges over to try to shut it down. And there's a really good outside shot from inside the dot on Skinner. And then um, <laughs> there's a rebound, and Eklund goes for it, and he he's kind of out of the play. And McDavid, who who had come back on the back check, he just went <laughs> flying right by the net. And I, and I had to watch the replay two or three times to identify, like, where did he go? He just went flying through the slot and right into the corner. It was a really egregious flyby play, but um, he more than made up for it, obviously, with that fantastic rush, as great offensive players do, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, as um, Jason Strudwick often says, you can't trust them. You can't trust any forward on defense. Forward. You cannot <laughs> trust a forward, and you certainly cannot. That It was just, I can't, couldn't believe how out of the play he was there. But he redeemed himself, to say the least. Bruce, um, my first good thing, um, well... Zach Hyman's uh, Zach Hyman got a couple goals, but it was the second goal. 
And it wasn't just Hyman on the play. It was the entire play. Evan Bouchard, um, he's passing the puck as well as any Oilers defenseman we've seen not named Paul Coffey. And I'm including Chris Pronger in that list. I think Evan Bouchard is a better passer of the puck than Pronger, who was a tremendous passer of the puck. Uh, yes, but, but Bouchard is just flinging that seed. He is making fantastic passes. And in this one, he made a, he made a great breakout pass. It goes to McDavid who breaks in and, and um, puts it over to Hyman in, um, in the uh, slot and he jams it in. Just a beautiful crease play by Zach Hyman. And who says quite modestly, you just go to the net uh, when you're on, on the ice with the world's best player and you're going to score some goals. But, and, and I mean, there's some obviously some truth to that. You know, Mc, Hyman's stats, career stats are taking off now playing with, with McDavid. But as they said on the broadcast, he's a th- he was a third-line player when he broke in the NHL. He wasn't that different than a Warren Fogle in a lot of ways at that stage of his career. And he, I think he, I think that guy must work his butt off because I think his skating has improved, Bruce. Mm-hmm. This is what I've noticed since he's been in Edmonton. His mm-hmm. ability to um, puck protect was always strong, but now his ability to deke with the puck and suddenly make a move one way or the other, I don't think I'm making this up or imagining it. As he's getting older, at an age when most players are deteriorating, he's getting faster and more agile on his skates and more able to make um, dekes in the offensive zone with the puck. Do you, Are you seeing the same thing? Is that- yes. Yeah, no, he's very composed with the puck and tight to the net. He's... Uh... He makes good, strong moves in one-on-one or often even one-on-two battles in tight to the blue paint, and he creates um, scoring chances or he gets to pucks to 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 finish off or at least get a shot out of scoring chances time and again. There was a couple tonight that were didn't go in that were just miracle plays by Hyman. One where he popped it off the crossbar and it went yeah. to, and. I just don't even know how he got to that puck, but he did. And and the replay showed the the commenters didn't notice it, but the replay showed he he got it up, dinged the crossbar, and and fluttered up over the glass. And oftentimes, when when a shot winds up in the netting, it's hit the bar on the way up, and that one certainly did. And then there was another one off a off of a, uh, I believe it was a McDavid chance, or was it? Yeah, it was a dry sidle shot that got blocked. And sort of dribbled through, and then somehow there's Hyman right on the doorstep, jamming away and nearly stuffing it through Bennington. And oh yeah, that's right. That was an out. It dry settle shot was blocked. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and so it was. Uh, and tonight on the night, he had of Edmonton's. How many did they have? Ind- individual fourteen high danger, shots. Individual high them. danger chances, and you can give us our number. Uh, the Oilers had in all situations, well, it was Hyman with seven and McDavid uh, with three, Kane and Fogel with two each and five guys with one. So These are shots? Uh, individual high danger chances, so the best chances. So they had them with Oilers with 19 and Hyman had seven of them. 
himself, like one guy. Uh, we had Hyman with five of the yeah, Oilers, okay. 14. I wonder what right. their percentage, like, for well, high shots going percentage. in the net are, like, what, what it breaks down to, like, what percentage they, they have that at. Anyway, um, it's yeah, we had worked a... out from their site because they also show high danger goals. So okay. it's they don't show, I don't think they show it as a percentage of the other, but you can just easily calculate you it. You can figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a, as the old saying goes, nose for the net. He really does. Yeah. He's, he's a super smart player and he's also super aggressive. So he's yeah. both, both those things. And that's how he gets to those pucks. Mm -hmm. Because it takes he you have to really know how to read the play to get to those rebounds. I remember reading yeah. um, um, about basketball rebounds. Yeah, and I was about, just going to say. I was thinking. I th I think it was either I was reading either about I can't remember if it was about there was a player called Kermit Washington, mm -hmm. but and it was either him or Rodman Dennis Rodman that I was reading about and just how they had made such a study of each shooter on their team and where it's going to go and how they're going to get there. And that neither of those guys, Kermit Washington or Dennis Rodman, were, were particularly tall by basketball standards. They were both about mm -hmm. six, 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 seven. Mm -hmm. But they were just unbelievable rebounders because of that ability. And Hyman's in that category as a rebounder. He, uh, he, I wonder if he gets more to to more rebounds. I wonder if, there, if, he, if someone might even track that. Who gets the most rebound shots in the NHL? And Hyman's got to be in the top five if he's not in the top three or number one because it's he just is always on those rebounds. I know that is tracked, I think, so might be able to find it on some site. Bruce, what's your second good thing? John, I'll just add the name Charles Barkley, who yeah. as a young man uh, playing uh, for Team USA uh, at Edmonton in the 1983 University had the compelling nickname of the round mound of rebound. And he was six foot four. Yeah. And he just was a, a, an awesome rebounder because of his, his uh, uh, smarts, positioning smarts, uh, in terms of his ability to somehow get inside and get the, get the best position and just being like super aggressive on the ball. And that Hyman, uh, you could say all those things about him. Do you know where they track shot is there a, a statistical site the track shot types that you can easily check yeah yeah is it on nhl.com nhl.com has you know the the uh you know the slappers and the and the wrist shots and now they have a few new categories like flubs and bats and stuff but uh, i think uh uh i think rebounds are recorded as such but don't quote me. It's been a while since I. Yeah, maybe they're just page. recorded as whatever they are, like shots, yeah, whatever like, kind of shot you make. Uh, we call them jam shots typically in our lingo when they're in tight to the net and somebody's jamming away at it. Are we still on your second good thing here, Bruce? Oh, we are. have we got to my second good thing yet? We, we are now. Yeah. I haven't said his name. Yes, uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, uh, who had a terrific game statistically with two assists. Uh, two shots on net, five, count them, five takeaways, and 11 out of 18, 61% in the face-off dot, where he led the orders both in face-offs taken and in percentage, which is pretty rare for the Nuge. Uh, but I particularly want to single out the one fantastic play he made on the power play in the third period when Evan Bouchard and Connor McDavid 
uh, both went for the same puck at the blue line, and Bouchard was diving to keep it in, and somehow the puck squeaked through both of them. And none other than Robert Thomas, who was a fantastic player for St. Louis tonight, named the third star with a goal and assist. Uh, and uh, he got the breakaway, and Nuge just put his head down and skated after him and closed the gap. Thomas slowed down a little. He thought he was in all alone. He slowed down a little bit to pick his spot, and Nuge just kept coming, lifted his stick, took it off him. Fantastic play. And then in overtime, uh, he did much the same thing when he stole the puck on the sideboards in Edmonton zone and chipped it up to McDavid. And that led to uh, uh, that led to Edmonton chance. Uh, but he was just all over the puck tonight. And I thought he played one of his most tenacious games that I've seen in quite a while. And uh, a very strong performance, but special shout out. Because if they score shorthanded there and go ahead 3-2 with 10 minutes left, that would have been killer. And uh, he... Skinner, who bailed his own teammates out a few times tonight, went out of his way to stick tap uh, the Nuge after after that uh, stellar defensive effort. It truly was. It was a fantastic play because that's the guy you don't want to see going in shooting on your goalie in the third period on a breakaway. Robert Thomas. Pretty much. He so. is a. He's probably going to be on Team Canada. I'll be surprised if he's not. Yeah, he's he a fantastic star. hockey player. And uh, he's two great games goal. he's played against the Oilers in the last couple of weeks. All right, my um, good things, my second good thing is Stuart Skinner in the third period. So the grade A shots were significantly in Edmonton's favor. This is Edmonton's second really solid defensive game in a row, fourteen uh, to ten for grade A shots overall. But um, in the third period, there was a couple break, two-on-one breaks. And um, the first one was a, a little bit of a bad luck play. Brett Kulak um, <laughs> goes in and whips the shot at net, and it kind of flutters at net, goes off the crossbar. And um, three older forwards were going to the net. Evan Bouchard was also um, out of position or low at the time. And it's he's trying to get back into the play. And um, Kulak's out of position. He was watching his shot a little longer than I might have liked, but it was a nice shot, so he's probably wondering if it's going in the net. Anyway, it's, it's a two-on-one rush. And um, just an incredible uh, save by Stuart Skinner as he charges across the net. Was that, was that save on that young Bullduck? Was that who got yes. off that shot? Yeah. I think that was on Bullduck. It was a, just a blocker save where he, you know, Stuart Skinner, we've criticized him and he's been criticized for not doing great on two on ones, mm -hmm. but he uh, made a fantastic save on that one. That was um, about five minutes into the uh, third period. And then 13, about 13 um, minutes in, uh, DeHarnay goes in and he's, he's pinching for the puck and he, uh, he gets it and <laughs> you're saying he turned it over. Yeah. Made a, you're, you say, I, I thought he just missed it, but you said brutal decision to make a blind backhand pass. Yes. My goodness gracious. <laughs> anyway, Fogel's right. rushing back. It's a two on one. Fogel's trying to get back. Um, nurse, fly, 
much nurses detractors will be in full force tonight um he flops on the ice and the pass goes by him he, he his timing on it was really poor um and um there's another great shot and skinner makes another great save i don't know who took that shot but it was another great save but anyway the two the primary culprits are were deharnay and nurse so um but Skinner's saved their bacon twice. Just absolutely massive saves with a game on the line. Fantastic play by the goalie. Yeah, Vince stepped up. He, he made, the, I think, a good decision to pinch because it was his puck. He stepped up and he got the puck, but he made a very, very bad decision instantly thereafter when, without looking, he tried to drop it back to Fogle, who was covering for him. And oh. St. Louis guy was got a stick in there and Fogle, I mean... Uh, I liked Fogel's game tonight a lot, and I liked his back checking. But he was—he was absolutely—he had no chance on that. Play okay. Because, and it was, uh, Nurse was the man back, and he did his uh, classic slide by on the two-on-one, where instead of having his big six-foot-four frame and the blade of his stick in the passing lane, he goes sliding by, and he's got sort of the the width of the shaft of his stick is all he's got. If the puck is off the ice an inch. It's through, and that was through, and and Skinner, Skinner came up big, and and there was a there was a few sort of hold your breath moments in the third period, and in this game where the Oilers had little lapses, uh, last minute. Oh my goodness, <laughs> it was two. Uh, anyway, it was um, oh, the one off of Bolduc, like he didn't miss. It was a no. right-to-left pass, and Boulder got it off the ice and just inside the short side post. And Skinner has to come all the way over and uh, with his blocker uh, turn that one aside. That was a, re- a really outstanding save. You know, sometimes it's obviously there's a mount. The difference between a goal and a great save is just luck, right? Like if he gets mm-hmm. it just a little bit more. Like the goalie can be... Do everything, do everything right as well as Skinner did it on that play and still get beat because the shooter doesn't shoot it at him. So there's there's an element of that. It's a huge element because the goalie you can only the puck's going faster than the goalie can move. Mm-hmm. So it's a matter of him anticipating where the puck's going to go, and he's just guessing. But anyway, this is uh, the theory of hockey. And um, Bruce, what is your? Have I? What am I? I've done my two good. Yeah. Okay. What's your bad thing? Yeah. Well, yet another bad start by the Oilers. Uh, but I'll just stick to the first goal because I think you'll cover the second one. And here was a game again where Edmonton was down. I mean, before the first TV timeout, they were down two nothing. Uh, first of all, they got a. Uh, uh, they were sort of a little running around in the first couple of minutes, and finally Leon Drysaddle made a play to chip the puck into uh, St. Louis territory, and he chased it down and harassed the St. Louis defender, and somehow in there, the referee saw a high-sticking penalty on Leon. That was pretty phantom, but maybe he clipped him. Same ref missed Hyman getting his ear practically sliced off a few minutes later, but anyway, that was uh, uh, there was a few pretty questionable calls in this one. Anyway, St. Louis got the power play at uh, 2.05 of the first period, and it took them all 14 seconds uh, to put the puck in the net. And it was just a, a bit of chaotic coverage by the defenders where uh, 
Nugent Hopkins, they, they had sort of one thrust and the puck came over to the near side boards on the TV camera and Nuge came over to the boards to battle for it. And for some reason, Derek Ryan came almost all the way over as well. So both forwards were like beyond the dots on the right side of the ice. And the pass goes across to Robert Thomas. And all of a sudden, there's hardly anybody left for Edmonton. In fact, there's one guy left, Darnell Nurse, and he doesn't have, you know, Thomas is a little bit too far out from him. So what he tries to do is front the shot, but he's too far away and there's no forward pressuring. And Thomas does what great offensive players does. And he takes the space given to him. He moves in a little tighter, uses Nurse as a screen, changes the shooting angle when Skinner can't even see where the puck is and rifles a fantastic shot in off the post into the top corner and it was a bit of an outside shot but that was one where i thought it was a fail of the penalty killers and here we are 219 into the first period and already the penalty kill is, has taken a crap you know and it's <laughs> nothing for the other guys what a terrible way to start a game wasn't it Oh, that was horrible. <laughs> Just trying to see how many times we've seen Darnell Nurse screen the goalie on the penalty kill on a goal against. That was the fifth time this year. Mm -hmm. um, he does it a lot. Um, he gets in the shooting lane. He does block a lot of shots, but one of the prices you pay is if you don't block him and the goalie can't see him, the ch chances of puck going in the net increase exponentially. So he's done it five times and he's done it 10 times at even strength on goals on goals bruce that is a lot 15 goals against for darnell nurse screening the goalie oh. something's not adding up there anyway um what i really hated on that play and we've seen this so many times is the forwards over committing yeah. and i've been talking about this consistently yes, for about a month now this over aggression i see from the forwards getting way out of position and then you have this all kinds of time in the world then for the NHL's best attackers to pick their spot on their shots or their passes. This is not a good strategy. I, and I don't know why they're not on it because this has happened repeatedly now. I think it was Nuge's pressuring of the puck made sense. The player had his back to the boards. He didn't have full control of the puck. Nuge had a chance mm -hmm. to pop it. But whatever Ryan was doing, and he's a smart hockey player. I just yes, don't know is. if they're being told to do this or they're just making mistakes of over aggression and if they are why they aren't correcting you'd think right they would have had a team meeting or five about this in the last month because it's happened repeatedly and it happened here he just came charging way over to the boards and they beat him with a pass which is easy to do and there you go thomas has you know thomas had three seconds to make his yeah. shot yeah, pretty much yeah. that's way too much time for a shooter a like like Thomas Sniper is going to snipe. Mm -hmm. The second goal against is my bad thing. And it was, it was a cluster frack. It was a case of players not being mentally ready at the start of the game to defend properly. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was their best players or many of their best players that were doing this. It's just, a, it was actually starts out as a three on four rush, Bruce. Hyman's back, Nurse's back, CeCe's back, and Dreisaitl's back. And um, one St. Louis Blue goes to the net, and both Dreisaitl and Nurse go with them. Mm -hmm. 
on the rush in. And what the, what that means is there's when the fourth St. Louis player finally joins the rush, instead of being out there, Leon's back at the net. And there's a wide open shot from the high slot area. The Cody Cece then has to rush out to cover because Leon's decided to cover the player that Darnell's covering already. So Cody Cece rushes out there. The guy misses the net. It goes behind the net. And then every single oiler is puck watching. They are all puck watching. Darnell Nurse chases after the puck behind the net. Cody Cece chases the puck then. So there's two guys. Now there's two guys in, on Both the guy. Both defensemen behind Both the defensemen net. behind the net chasing the puck. Nurse should never have chased the puck. Cece, if Nurse doesn't chase the puck, there's no problem. And then <laughs> there's one guy in the slot, wide open in the slot, Bushnevich, who's a sniper. Mm-hmm. He is wide open in the low slot. And what's Leon doing? He's watching the puck. Instead of covering the man in the slot, Leon Dreisettle is puck watching the guy behind the net with the mm-hmm. puck, transfixed. Connor McDavid slowly comes back to, to back check, and he's a moment too late. Uh, he could have made the play too. And uh, in his own defense, this is what it's all about. You, this is what you're looking yeah. for, yeah. is that pass in there. And McDavid's late. So CeCe and Nurse get beat on the pass. Stuart Skinner is looking one way than the other. He's turned the wrong way on the play as well. And it's in the net. It was just, it was just an episode in defensive indifference and, uh, (laughs) and, and and their minds wandering, not focused on the, not focused on their defensive fundamentals, such as taking the man in front of the net, not, and holding your position in the zone, not chasing people making good decisions. Uh, it was like we were, again, I just, I'm getting, I have, I have the Vegas Golden Knights PTSD from the playoffs last year. So many goals like that last year in the playoffs. And here we had it again. And I, I keep saying it, Bruce, if they don't learn to defend that play, those plays, they're not going to win the Stanley Cup this year. As much as they all want to win it, they will not win the Stanley Cup if they don't start, if they don't drastically cut down on that kind of undisciplined play in their own zone. Defensive indifference is an actual term in baseball. And it's uh, uh, official scoring judgment in which a runner is not credited with a stolen base because the team playing the field did not try to stop the steal. (laughs) Perfect. So the team has a four-run lead in the ninth inning and the guy decides to steal second base. They don't bother making a throw or doing anything because they're more concerned getting the out batter up. Yeah, yeah. And so they act this, I don't think it shows up in, in the, yeah, I think it does show up in the box score as, a, you know, he, he took the base and the reason he took it was not because he stole it because the other team let him have it. Defensive indifference. Well, it, there's a reason for it in baseball and hockey is just pretty much bad hockey. <laughs> that, was, that was bad hockey. It really was. And they, uh, they know it, I guess they know it. Yeah. Um, do they yeah. know it? It's like how many yeah. years into your NHL career are you still chasing players behind the net and not covering them in front of the net? Like, and I know it's hard. Hockey happens super fast. It's chaotic. You know, the ice is the ice is slippery. The puck is round. It's madness it's out edges. there. But that play wasn't. That play was kind of slow developing on a certain level. Oh. And it just took. It just took a little bit of defensive discipline, and I'm by so any lucky. one of the players. <laughs> To cover Bushnevich, mm-hmm. the one guy in the slot who was going to score, right. and 
there's no goal there. Bruce, what is your number? So, so here we are five minutes into the first period. There's been two, three shots on net. Two of them are grade A. They've both gone in. And I'm wondering if Skinner's ever going to make a save. And then all he does is stop every single shot the entire rest of the game, which is uh, 31 more shots. And so he bounced back hard. And the Oilers mostly did, although there was still some defensive chaos. A little bit, and, but not, but a normal amount. Yeah. A normal amount. You're going to have... A couple breakaways. Know, a, yeah. A team's you know, going to get two or three high danger chances in a game, right? And they're mm-hmm. going to get, you know... Yeah seven or eight grade A shots, even if you're playing really strong defensive hockey. It just happens. So my number is five, and that is uh, the Oilers' five-game homestand from which they emerged with five points, two, two, and one. And in all five games, uh, the Oilers took the first penalty, gave up the first power play, and in all five games, the Oilers gave up the first goal. So they were literally coming from behind every game. Sometimes the first penalty led to the first goal, as was the case tonight. And in all five, it just seemed like slow starts were the norm in all the games where the Oilers were, you know, down one nothing at some point in the first period, typically pretty early in the first period. And a couple games down 2 nothing or even 3 nothing in one game against Calgary. And so, and this business of taking the first penalty just seems to keep happening and uh uh anyways the uh uh wasn't much of a call they wound up with a 500 record to sort of tie a knot on all the fives they you know they got half of what they could have got from the homestand but in the end when you consider they only ever had a lead in one game and only for a few minutes in the third period. Otherwise, they were trailing or tied for the entire homestand. To come out of with five points is actually not bad. Yeah, are they are they finally ahead of Vegas? Uh, just let me check. I'm checking myself here. They are one point behind Vegas. So with games in hand, though. Yeah, with two games in hand. <laughs> We've been dealing with this and now situation. Four ahead of LA because LA got beat by Calgary last night. Same four to two score that they lost in Edmonton the night before. So they've nice. had a bit of a setback with a two game losing streak. And uh, uh, the uh, so the Oilers have four point lead and a game in hand on the Kings. So a little more comfortable. And then the Flames that are just going gangbusters coming up the the charts with uh, uh, four wins in a row uh, against four pretty darn good teams, Winnipeg, Boston, Edmonton, and Los Angeles. Uh, And they beat them all. And so their four-game winning streak now has them in fifth place in the Pacific and ninth in the West, which would be a very good place for them to finish the season, uh, with uh, 63 points. So, but they're nine behind Edmonton, and the Oilers have two games in hand, so they're they're fairly comfortable spot. But the Flames are so weird; they're either winning four in a row or losing four in a row, and they've been doing both of those things sort of one after the other for the last couple months. Here's one for you, Bruce. The Kings have five more points than the Flames. Mm-hmm. They also have five more loser points. They've mm-hmm. got ten loser points, and the Flames have five. So. Mm-hmm. Gary Bettman's NHL. So, Bruce, and my number leaders is... Leaders have 14. 
Oh, my goodness. Including Boston, who came west. Did you catch the Boston road trip? They beat Edmonton in overtime, so they got the two yeah. points there. Then they lost to Calgary in overtime, lost to Vancouver in overtime, lost to Seattle in the shootout, I think it was. So they <laughs> well, three Batman points in a row. So, Bruce, um, I've been talking about how Darnell Nurse and Cody Cece have been uh, slumping. And I just wanted to actually put some numbers to it. So my numbers revolve around that. So I just looked at the month of February. Um, they played 45 games before that. And I think, so it's 12 games in February. Yeah. Shut this door. And um, so 12 games in February. So what we're going to do is look at, so we track grade A shots and we look at who makes contributions to the grade A shots, major contributions. And we look at who makes major mistakes on the grade A shots against at even strength. So that's the, the numbers I'm going to be looking at. And I'm going to break it down into a percentage. So just for example, this year, uh, the Oilers defensemen have helped create 433. Um, or they, They've made contributions to 400. That's not the right. There's been a 433 contributions by Oilers defensemen to grade A shots and 556 mistakes. So overall, it's a um, the individual grade A four percentage is 44%. That's the average for the Oilers defenseman, 44. So Demon, that's a pretty, like Demon, they don't have, it's like goals and assists. They don't have as much chance to make goals and assists, but they have more, right. they're more likely to make mistakes because they're at the edge of the thin edge of the knife. Is that oh. the right word? I don't know. Might've been mixed a metaphor there. And, um, when it comes to making mistakes, they're they're guarding the slot, so they're more likely to, to make major mistakes on grade A shots against. Anyway, so it's 44% is the average. Um, in the month of February, heading into the month of February, Nurse and Cece were actually close to that average, which isn't bad. Um, if you're playing the toughest competition, if you're playing consistently the hardest players in the NHL, it's not bad if you're just close to the team average in that, if you're on the top pairing. So that again, the the average is forty percent, forty four percent in the first uh, forty five games. Nurse was at forty percent, and CC was at thirty eight percent. Those were the lowest two percentages on the team um, in the first forty five games. Bouchard was at fifty five percent, Ekholm forty eight percent, Kulak forty six percent, Deharnay forty one percent, and then again, Nurse and CC forty percent and thirty eight percent. So um, most of the defensemen are fair, are grouped fairly were grouped fairly tightly. In the first 45 games, except for Bouchard, who was significantly ahead at 55%, he is just having, he's having a fantastic year on the attack. You, yeah. you, it's it's hard to overstate what an offensive, um, a great offensive player he's become this season. He is moving the puck so well this year at even strength. Um, it is remarkable. So let's move to February now. And... <laughs> So Nurse has dropped from 40% to 22% for the month of February. Cody Cece has dropped from 38% for individual grade A four percentage to, from 38% to 14%. Wow. Vincent DeHarnay has dropped from 41% mm-hmm. to 17%. Wow. Um, Ekholm is at 45%, so he's holding steady. Kulak is at at 50 percent he's he's holding steady kulak is having a really good year such a steady defenseman and evan bouchard is at 62 percent up from 55 percent. so he's he got better he was 
he and Kulak were the only two defensemen who actually got better with massive drops in performance. Just massive drops in performance from Nurse to Harney and CeCe. And Bruce, I just, this is going to move on into our conundrum. They need a right shot defenseman who can move the puck. I just, if, you know, unless you're thinking, okay, this was just the month of February overall this year. They're, they've been they've been okay or pretty good. And that's fair enough. I, and, you know, maybe, you, maybe you're convinced this is just an anomaly, but you have two right shot defensemen who are really, really struggling to move the puck. And even in the, in the um, first part of the year, when it comes to contributions moving the puck, they're the lowest two guys on the team. They need another guy who can move the puck. And um, I don't think they can afford to move out Kulak. He's just playing too well. If they can, if they've got to figure out a way, if, if they need cap space, you know, if they can just bring in a player without moving out cap space, well, that's one thing. But if, if they can move out CeCe and bring in a defenseman who can move the puck, that's the play to make. Now, tonight, there was a big trade in the NHL. The... Yes. The Dallas Stars and the Calgary Flames made a deal, and I'll just uh, read the elements of that trade to you. The Stars at- acquired a right-shot defenseman, Chris Tanev. Um, Calgary got um, a prospect defenseman called Artem Grishnikov, who's in the AHL, the second-round pick of the Stars this year, and a conditional third-round pick in 2026. And then there was um, the Devils ate some of the salary um, 25% of the salary for a fourth round pick. So the stars only have to pay 25% of the salary for the rest of the year. Well, so the question is to $5 million. It's all yeah. Tanev is against the cap. So, so Grishnikov is, he's, he's got like five points and 40 some AHL games. He's like, kind of like he's playing at this, he, you know, just from the looks of things, he's, he scores at about the same level as Maximus Wanner of the Oilers. Now, he's a second-round pick, whereas Wanner was a sixth or seventh-round pick, so Krishnikov has better draft pedigree, but he's not actually performing, it looks like it at least, he, and he's a smaller player than Wanner. So if the Oilers were to make a trade, it, it would have been, like, because Wanner is actually a fairly high, highly regarded prospect now, I think. He, his value's gone up. So, you know, the Oilers would have had to give up a second, a third, and Wanner um, to get... Tanev, if Calgary was so inclined to make that make that trade with Edmonton, what do you think? Should the Oilers have, if the Oilers mm. could have done that trade, Bruce? Let's, would you mm. have done it? Well, I'd be tempted, and I like Max Wanner, and I think he, he he's trending in a good direction. And uh, among the Oilers prospects uh, currently in the AHL, he's among the more promising in terms of actual performance in the AHL this year as a, as a professional rookie um but um yeah i mean it, it cost him three draft picks but none of them was the first rounder uh the second um this year's second and the third the condition on the third is if dallas makes the Stanley cup finals calgary gets the third and if they don't there's just no pick at all it's not like they get a fourth instead of the third if they make if they don't make the finals the way ken holland likes to do conditional picks uh, but then they Dallas also had to give up the fourth rounder to buy down, you know, 25% of his contract, uh, which seems actually pretty cheap to me for, you know, they've, they've added a four and a half million dollar player onto their payroll at 
what NHL minimum plus 350k like you know like if the Oilers were to get Tanev at that price they could actually fit him under the cap right now and not have to trade CC or anyone else you know they could just add yeah. Yeah. that much of a contract onto their team uh, that said because Edmonton was involved Calgary was probably uh, upping the ante a little bit I mean assuming Edmonton was involved but just because of their relationship with Edmonton, they probably would have tried to extract a steeper price. Possibly. That that uh, may have played a factor. So we don't is, even know. Is That's, he the puck mover that you're talking about, though? I, I don't know is, you know, he he's a high-end defensive defenseman. And is he a lot better than Cody Cece? Like, I don't even, I can't even, like, I, I haven't watched Tanev closely yeah. enough. Cece's, before this, before this month of February, CC was having a, a, an okay to good year, and he's his game. Him and Nurse have just fallen apart in the last month. They're just not getting the job done. It's not close, and it seems to me like it's mental errors as much as anything. But um, I don't know. Like they've got to get it together. But I, I do think that the this has got to be addressed by the Oilers. They're going to have to trade for. I just think they have. They're two similar players to Harney and CeCe. And it's, you have one guy like that, CeCe or DeHarnay to cover uh, on the uh, power play to, to kill off penalties. But I'm just not, they've got to be better in their own zone. If CeCe and Nurse aren't doing that and they haven't for a whole month, to me, that's a real warning signal. And it's not like they were great in the playoffs last year either cc was injured of course and nurse was running around mm-hmm. under the system they had then um i would i just think that's the trade they need to make and i'm not sure though that tanev was the player either i i'm not convinced that he would have been a significant upgrade upgrade over cody cc might have been more of the same like m- my sense is he's a better player but i i can't say for sure because i haven't done the necessary work looking at this player over a, closely over a long run of games but um he doesn't strike me as the type of player that they should be looking for. Now, I don't know if that player's out there. Yeah, well, by the uh, first sort of float by of stats, they're quite similar. Tanev's played 56 games, one goal, 13 assists, 14 points, uh, plus 16 with 14 pims. And CeCe has played... Uh, before tonight, 56 games, one goal, 16 assists, 17 points, plus nine with 12 pims. Uh, biggest difference between them is that uh, Tanev is a big-time shot blocker. He's got 170 blocks on the season. And Cece, who does block shots and get in lanes, has 80. So Tanev's like, you know, he's sort of a Chris Russell in that yeah. area among the league leaders, I do believe. And I think that's pretty standard fare for him uh, with... Uh, Anyway, but he's only got 25 hits, you know, like he's not a particularly physical player. He just, he's a thwart. He gets in the way. He's in the lanes. He doesn't give away stuff for free. He takes away passing and shooting lanes. And, and um, he, you know, he's, he's a decent, from what I've seen, decent puck mover in terms of getting the puck in his own end and making a good first pass so they can exit the zone. But he's not going to go end to end with it or, you know, show up in the slot unexpectedly and pop one into the top corner. That's not really his game. But a million and a, a million and an eighth, which is what Dallas is paying him, 
you know, that's a real nice ad. I think it's a good trade too for Dallas. Like, you know, and again, I don't, I don't know the, haven't watched the player enough to, to really know, but he's top pairing defenseman in Calgary. He's, he has been a really good player in the past. So yeah, that's, that seems like a, a very good trade for the Dallas stars to make. And, um, but again, I'm not super disappointed because I do, I, I, I just think the orders need a different player in that spot. Um, and um, again, I think it is a player who can really move the puck. This is what the Oilers need there. Yeah, he and, plays, he actually plays just under like 19.50 per game and CeCe's at 20 and 16 seconds. So basically identical. There's might be the they most statistically close demon in the end. Like two of the, like yeah. they'd be in a group, like they're they so both, close. It's hard to pick them apart, pick up. Pick who's better or not. Last year, uh, Tanev had a goal, 12 assists, 13 points, plus seven, with 21 pims. And CeCe had one goal, 14 assists, 15 points, and plus 11 with 24 pims. It's like the same player. You know, when you look at strictly boxcars, which uh, I will quickly uh, add that boxcars are possibly the worst way to measure defensive defense was like trying to measure yes. offensive linemen by how many touchdowns they score right i mean <laughs> it's not really part of the position description so uh it's uh but you know statistically there's not a whole lot to choose from at that level and i can't say as i've dug super deep into you know possession numbers and that sort of thing and of course who they pair up with is a huge part of it as well so yeah and just what their assignment is. But CC plays tough minutes, and Tanev certainly plays tough minutes, in my observation. Yeah. Now, I could be, recency bias could be really clouding my judgment on this, Bruce. I mean, that's the criticism you can make of my assessment here, that they need to make this trade for a defenseman. But I think they need to make this trade for a defenseman. 14% uh, grade A4 percentage in the month of February for Cody CC. Wow. That's uh, that is some slump, and he doesn't look. They're all a little injured, but he doesn't look. He looks like he's moving okay. So, and I I've liked Cody Cece since he came to Edmonton. I've been a consistent fan of his. I'm just not convinced that he's going to be able to get it done for the Oilers in the playoffs if they want to win a Stanley Cup. So Brian Lawton on Oilers now, who knows a lot more about all the other players. You know, he's very right. he's watching all of them. He's he's you know a fanatic. And um, former NHL GM player agent, he says the orders need a top four D man. I'm in full agreement. I think that's what they've. That's got to be job one for Ken Holland right now. It's what they need. It's what they're lacking, and it could help Darnell Nurse get him out of his slump, which is also really bad. So yeah, he's not playing real well. He sure isn't. I hear he's got 15 <laughs> goals against on screens this year. Someone uh-huh. was saying. Yeah, well, tonight he was basically a culprit on the first two goals against. Yeah. And then he took a puck over glass penalty. And, you know, I thought one thing he did tonight, which I haven't seen much from lately, was actually get involved in the attack a little bit and jump up into the play, not always appropriately for that matter, but at least he was trying to play the 200-foot game, but but uh, was not a, a shining effort overall. No. All right. Let's leave it there. I guess Kurt's doing the game grades, and we're up next. What's the next game? Friday? Uh, Saturday afternoon. Oh, Saturday afternoon. Seattle. 
and then they come back home play a Sunday Sunday night against Pittsburgh. So they have a back to back where the home game is the second game. Don't see too many of those. Uh, but there's like 30 hours between starts or something because one's in the afternoon and then the next one's the evening. But that's uh, not necessarily helpful when you have two widely variant start times from one day to the next. Very different routines. Yeah. All right. Well, Bruce, thanks for talking tonight. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.